Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. If you have the book of Daniel, uh, I'll ask you to open it to a specific place, and we'll just begin there. But we're going to look at a variety of things over the course of the first six chapters in Daniel's life. And I'm going to try to be very simple and very direct. Um, Not to say that that's not always the goal, um, but that's going to be the goal, especially today. There is a lot of wild and chaotic things happening in the world. But there is also a lot of wild and chaotic things happening in the church. And of all of the things that are happening in the church, it's not necessarily going to be my goal to try to create some uh, exhausted list to think that any one of us could sit and critique or point out all of the items that we would be able to take issue with. But right now, there is one thing that is very clear, and it's that we are not united the way that we should be. Um, We are not united the way that we should be. Ephesians 4, 3 says, fight to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And there are a lot of things that are disrupting our unity and destroying our peace as a people. Fight to preserve. Listen to those words, fight. There's something worth fighting for. Fight to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Right now, our unity is being disrupted and our peace is being destroyed. We're not united as we should be. And there's a lot of things, a lot of things. You don't have to go very far in order to identify whether you can pick a handful of items or whether that list becomes very long, depending on how much time you want to involve yourself going through all of the different things right now that are separating us, they're dividing us. They're destroying our peace, our unity, and it is very real and it is unavoidable. There are so many things, so many things. There's politics. I I could just mention a bunch of buzzwords that I'm sure would get you riled up right now on the inside, depending on the slant that you're choosing, depending on the category that you've selected, depending on the stream depending on the party, depending on the sect, depending on the movement, depending on the justice issue. There's a whole bunch of buzzwords right now that get things hot, they get things going, they start to heat up the conversation and the hostility begins to come to the surface of people's hearts and it begins to spew out of people's mouths. You don't have to go very far. Uh, But but I'm going to encourage you because in just a moment, we're gonna take a look in Daniel chapter six, And in Daniel chapter six, we're going to use a couple of words that we find in Daniel chapter six to frame in a much bigger story that's happening in Daniel's life over the course of chapters one to six. In Daniel chapter six, Daniel says this. I found out, I'm going to paraphrase. Um, It's actually going to be found in Daniel chapter six, verse number 10. But Daniel says, Man, when I found out that they were trying to accuse me, they wanted to attack me, and they could find no corruption in my character, 
They could find no evil, no wickedness. There was no negligence. I carried an excellent spirit. I was upright. I was faithful. In all of my conduct, in all of my interaction, they had no grounds to be able to accuse me or to assault me. But I found out that they did something really crazy. They took my faithfulness to God and they made it a crime. They took the way that I lived faithful in my devotion. They took my loving obedience. They took the expression or the demonstration of my life as I lived it in such a way that would honor my king and just not the king that was seated on the earthly throne, but they convinced the king that was seated on the earthly throne, and that in chapter six is Darius. They brought their accusation and their corruption to Darius, and they actually got Darius to do something that was completely absurd to me. They said, the only way that we're going to be able to get him, the only way that we're going to be able to pin him down, the only way that we're going to be able to find access to ground in order to bring him down is going to be with the law of his God. Because they know that he just doesn't, they just, he just doesn't live it when it's convenient, but he carries a conviction about him. And we know that if we make it illegal, he's going to keep doing what he's doing. We know that if we make it a crime, he carries a conviction and not just a convenience. And if we outlaw praying to anyone except King Darius, we know because we've been watching him for a little while. We know because we've investigated his life. We know because there's real evidence of his faithfulness. And if we make it a crime, we know that he's just going to keep on doing what he's doing. And you're never going to believe it. They actually did it. And they brought it to the king. Man, these dudes are wild. They actually brought it to the king. And they got him to sign into action a law. Because they thought that if they tried to create some public policy for me not to be me, that I'd stop being faithful. They thought that if they actually made it a legal matter, that it was going to disrupt, that it was going to cause me to violate, that it was going to bring me into a place where I would compromise my kingdom conduct and the law of God that has been branded upon my heart and that has framed in my faithful devotion and the embodiment of my life. They thought that if they made it a cultural issue and that if they wrote some public policy or some law into cultural practice, that I would violate my kingdom faithfulness. And in chapter 10, or in chapter 6, we find in verse 10, Daniel's response. And Daniel says, man, when I found out that they actually did something crazy, and they brought it to me, I just went back home. And I just went into my upper room because the windows were cracked open and I got down on my knees and I started to pray. But he doesn't say that he did it in response to what was happening. Verse 10 tells us he did it as he had been doing. 
You see, Daniel's faithfulness in the secret place was not just in response to what was happening in a public place. But Daniel's life and the faithfulness of his life had been formed in the secret place. And no matter what was happening in public, it was not going to bring disruption to what Daniel knew in private. I want to encourage you that we don't have a shot to be united unless we're faithful in the secret place. That if we're allowing everything that's happening out in public to bring disruption to the secret place, then the enemy's agenda is already being fulfilled. That if your secret place, if your faithful devotion to the Lord, if your times in prayer, listen to what Daniel says, and I kept on praying three times a day, just as I had been doing. Three times a day. Man, some of us ain't prayed three times in the past month because of all the hostility, because of all the adversity, because of all of the challenges, because of all of the issues, and because of everything that the enemy is wielding in a public arena, it has brought disruption to all of our faithfulness as we had knew it possibly before in the secret place. In our times of devotion, and our devotion is experiencing disruption because of all the things that have been brought to the surface in what is the experience of our life out in public. But Daniel said, man, it, it doesn't really matter what you bring up out there. There's nothing that you are going to be able to do that is going to disrupt what I have going on in the secret place. There is nothing that you are going to be able to do there's no issue that you can bring up. There's no public policy that you can issue. There's no situation that you can breed hostility in. There is no movement that you can create that is going to move me from my faithful place of devotion to God as he has formed it into my life. He says, as I've been doing what I was doing, I'm going to keep on doing. And there ain't nothing that you're doing that's going to stop me from what I've been doing. Daniel said, I've been in the secret place three times a day, whether hell or high water, whether public policy, whether the issue of the king, whether demonic disruption, whether public policy against me, whether governmental structure no longer in favor of me, whether the king's edict directly against me. Um, it is insane to me. Um, if you've been tracking with the fast, then you understand. And what I mean tracking with the fast, what I mean is if you signed up for the fast, then you understand that we've been sending out um, communication and different materials and prayer points and things of such to help guide this effort that we're all in together. Um, we don't directly want to govern and lead it and be the dominating voice in it. Um, we want Jesus to lead it and we want you to be led to Jesus in a wonderful and beautiful way. But we have been sending out supplemental materials and resources and devotional stuff. And what I mean by supplemental is that we want the secret place to be primary. Um, when you get up every day, I want you to check in with the secret place and not with your email inbox. Uh, and that's why we're not bombarding your email inbox. Um, we want you to check in with Jesus and not just necessarily what we may be saying. We want a guide, but we want Jesus to lead. 
And Daniel says, what I was doing, I'm going to keep on doing. Daniel's whole life was formed around times in prayer. He says, I was praying three times a day. We have to hear what is actually being said to us and let it say what it is saying. Daniel's whole life was framed in around times in prayer. And Daniel's whole life was informed and animated by what he was receiving in those times of prayer. Think about it. They investigated this man's life and they sought the place to bring him down. How can we attack him in a way that is going to completely unravel him? Well, I mean, I don't know. We've been watching him and we've been tracking with him and we've been looking at what he does and we've been seeing the things that he's faithful with. I love what Leonard Ravenhill says. He said, you don't have to tell me what you believe and you don't have to tell me the things that are important to you. He said, but you let me live with a man long enough and I'll tell you what he believes and I'll tell you what's really important to him. They tracked with him. They watched him. They investigated his life and they thought to themselves, we have to find something that's going to be the access point for us to be able to bring him down. And they said to themselves, if we can get him out of the secret place, we can destroy him in a public place. If we can make it a crime to where he can no longer pray to his God, we got him. Think about what's actually happening. They created a public policy so that one person could not pray. What? Like, are you serious? A law gets written and it affects everybody so that somebody can't pray. They weren't after everybody. They were after Daniel. Yes, they made it a law. Yes, they wrote it into public policy. Yes, they convinced the king in order to issue this injunction that affected everybody. It landed on everybody. It affected a collective, a corporate people, but they were after one person. To think that one person could carry so much power in the place of prayer to think that one person they would consider, now they not just being some abstract people group, but they being a demonic group, a demonic people, a demonically inspired group living, embodying demonic desire, a group of people gripped with demonic inspiration could look upon one person and think to themselves, we have to stop this guy from praying or it's going to be a problem. Do you view yourself like that in prayer? If you did, you'd probably pray more. <laughs> um, if we did, we'd probably pray as much as Daniel prayed. Um, if we did, our whole life would probably revolve around times in the secret place and our entire public reality would probably be informed through what we received in those times of prayer. And this is what we find in Daniel's life. 
Daniel is not just living out in public in some random way. Daniel is living his life in public by what he is receiving in private. His times of intercession are providing him with revelation and information on how he is to posture himself and interact with the situations that life and culture and government structures and politics and demonic desires that are up against him. Daniel is receiving instructions through times in intercession. How much of us are being animated. And when I say animated, I mean being brought to life. How many of us are being brought to life in a public way by things that God is saying to us in private times, in the secret place, in hidden away, tucked away times of devotion. But this was Daniel's life. Daniel just wasn't out in public doing whatever was going to seem to benefit him most. Daniel wasn't just running around trying to navigate responsively all of the things that were happening in the tidal wave of issues that were being brought up against him in a cultural sense. Daniel was not just only out as a contact point or a touch point engaging with things in what would be the most convenient way to handle what was happening to him. Um, this actually wasn't what he was doing at all. You can't track with Daniel's life and then come back to me and tell me that Daniel was only doing what was going to benefit him most. Daniel wasn't getting swallowed up in the whirlwind of issues. He wasn't just getting overtaken by the tidal wave of chaos and then trying to evaluate what was happening or surveying the land and then trying to move forward, whatever forward means, then trying to move forward as he was navigating what was going on. He wasn't just doing what was serving his own self-interest. Um, you don't find that whatsoever. But this is the real deal. If we are not stable in the secret place, we will be unstable in every way possible out in a public place. We'll bend, we'll be tossed. James actually says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Unstable in all of his ways. But we find a stability in Daniel's life. We find a fortitude, we find a confidence. We, we find this faithfulness to God in the midst of adversity. We find this devotion to his king, even when the natural king and all of the king's systems and structures were against him. We find Daniel actually being obedient, even when confronted with death itself. This would be the embodiment of Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, even not loving their own lives. Um, when the thought of death as a penalty was brought up against them. And in Daniel's life, we actually see a bunch of crazy stuff over a variety of time periods. From the time that Daniel was long, young, tracking with him all the way until when he's old, we find that Daniel outlasts four wicked kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, 
Belshazzar, we find Belshazzar gets judged and he dies and Darius takes over. We find that Darius dies and Cyrus takes over. But what we find is that Daniel thrives in the midst of every wicked empire. We find that Daniel thrives. He's not just surviving. He is thriving. He's not just trying to make it. God is with him. He's living with signs, wonders, miracles. He's living by way of divine or prophetic interaction and visitations. There's a revelatory realm that has been opened up to Daniel. There's angelic messengers. Daniel is on his knees. He's praying. The window is open in chapter nine. And he says, he says, and a man flew in the window while I was praying, but I wasn't really shaken because I had seen him before. He had come to me before. I saw him in a dream. God sent him to me because I needed insight. I needed wisdom. I was wrestling with dreams and visions and God was trying to speak to me so that I could posture myself in order to be faithful so that I could navigate all of the uncertainty and the complexity of life as it was happening in real time. But God was with me and he had not abandoned me and angels were visiting me and they were bringing me communication that God knew I needed. But aren't my angels just ministering spirits sent to assist those that are inheriting salvation. That's what Hebrews 1 tells us. Jesus, in the wilderness, on the backside of the 40, in the temptation with the devil himself, it says that angels came to strengthen him and to minister to him. Daniel is not abandoned in the midst of a hostile, corrupt culture. Daniel has not been left alone as if God has forgotten where he is because of the hostility of the times. Daniel is not an orphan living in Babylon, but Daniel is thriving as a king's kid, not Nebuchadnezzar, not Belshazzar, not even Darius or Cyrus. Daniel is a king's kid and he is thriving because of the stability of his faithful devotion and what he has secured in the secret place. Um, Daniel is unwilling to compromise the secret place, and it's why he has the strength not to compromise out in a public place, even when things are set up against him. In chapter two, well, let's back it up. Let's start with chapter one. In chapter one, we find that Daniel resolves that he is going to live a consecrated life, that he's going to fast and pray. Vegetables and water for 10 days, then they're evaluated, then it goes on for three years. Vegetables and water for three years. I'm consecrated. I'm set apart. I've given myself to him. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I can't be like everybody else. I can't feast the way everybody else is feasting. Daniel shuts down certain elements that are attached to the table. And this spiritual impartation erupts in his life and breaks wide open. And it says unto Daniel and his guys. Now, it's interesting that chapter one tells us that the children of Israel are sent into exile in Babylon. But we are intensely brought into the information given to us about Daniel and his three guys. And it says that they, as they are being trained, man, their names are changed. They have to learn a new language. 
They have to study a wicked culture. They're brought into Babylon, but it says that they are brought into Babylon, but they bring themselves into consecration. They're brought into Babylon by force, but they're brought into consecration by way of invitation. And they resolve in their hearts, we have to live a life that's set apart. We can't be like everybody else. We have to be in it, but we can't be of it. And there are certain ways that God brings them out. Oh, my people, come out from in the midst of them. Do not be like them. Do not give yourselves to their practices. Do not worship their idols. And Daniel resolves, we have to come out. And they enter into consecration and they begin to fast and pray. And as they begin to fast and pray, there's an impartation that they receive. Again, as we said before, they shut certain things down, other things break wide open. They close the door to certain things, the door to other things fling wide open. They resolve that they're not going to participate in certain things. God brings them into a participation with other things that he desired and he knew that they were going to need in order to be able to thrive and be faithful as they navigated honoring the king in a corrupt culture. And again, I'm not talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. And they received wisdom and insight, learning and understanding. And unto Daniel, he was given the ability to interpret dreams and visions of all kinds. Now, this is going to be necessary because when you turn the page and you jump into Daniel chapter 2, you understand that he wasn't just gifted so that he could have dream interpretation meetings. He wasn't just gifted so that he could jump on Facebook with his cash app and interpret dreams for folks. He wasn't just gifted so that he could develop his own resume and launch his own 501c3. He was gifted because it was a matter of life and death. He was gifted because God needed a people that would thrive in the midst of Babylon as a beacon of hope, as a bright shining star in a dark night. He needed a people that could be in it, but would not be of it. He needed a people in the midst of corruption that had corruption surrounding them that did not have corruption on the inside of them. And when you get into chapter two, you understand that his ability to interpret dreams, it gets tested. Because the king had a dream and he calls all of the divination team. He calls Daniel and his crew and he brings them in. And Daniel realizes the king has already said, if somebody can't tell me my dream and what it meant, I'm killing everybody. I'm not just killing everybody, everybody as a whole, but I'm killing the whole divination team. I'm killing all the wise men. And the wise men are like, man, like nobody can do this. Like, what are you talking about? Like, there's never been a king that has asked for what you're asking for. And he says, that's cool. I don't really care. If you can't do it, I'm killing everybody. You got 48 hours. And Daniel gets word. And he's like, man, like, like what's this dude bugging out about? Like, why is he so messed up? Like, man, like, wh like wh what's the deal? And he's informed. These are the terms. And if you don't meet the terms, you're dying. And Daniel says, okay, 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 calm down. Like, give us some time. 
And he goes to his guys and he says, let's go to sleep and let's ask the Lord for compassion for him to reveal this mystery to us in a dream. And it says that God is faithful and he reveals it to them in a night vision. And Daniel comes back and he gives the king the interpretation of the dream. First, he tells him what the dream is and then he gives him the interpretation. Um, but let's actually look at what Daniel tells him. In chapter two, Daniel tells him, beginning with verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people, but it will crush and put an end to all of these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze. Now he's already told Nebuchadnezzar where he fits in that equation. This stone carved out of the mountain is going to crush the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, and the great God has made known to the king that this is you. He's revealed it to you. You have received revelation that there is coming a kingdom that's going to crush every other kingdom, including yours, because I know you think you're the man. I know that you think you're hot stuff. I know you think you rule, you reign, you have power right now. You can do your own thing, but you had a dream and you wanted to know what it meant. And I'm going to tell you what it means. He's made it known to the king. What's going to take place in the future? And trust me, this dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Consider what's happening the king has already issued a decree that there is a penalty riding on the line. And whoever comes to me with some foolishness, I'm killing the whole wise men crew. Like I'm gonna put an end, I'm destroying the divination team. If you can't tell me the dream and what it means. So everybody already understands the terms. There's death riding on the line. And Daniel comes into the room with the dream and the interpretation and rebukes the mess out of the king. He comes into the room and he's like, oh yeah, okay, cool. You want to know what the dream means? This is the dream, A, B, and C. Yep, that was the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, like, okay, you actually knew what the dream was. What does it mean? And this is what Daniel says. Even if this costs me my life, because what I'm not going to do is serve my own self-interests and tell you a bunch of nonsense right now in order to preserve myself. I'm not gonna tell you that God's just revealed to me how great you are and how powerful you are. I'm not just gonna sit here and stroke your ego. I'm not gonna sit here and be politicized. I'm not gonna sit here and be a puppet in the hand of the king so that I can serve his government and the systems and structures that have been set up against me. What I'm going to do is I'm gonna be faithful to the Lord, even at the thought that it may cost me my life. What I'm going to do is reveal to you or unpack to you all of what I've received from a revelatory sense, the mysteries and the wisdom of God on display to you is this. There is coming a kingdom that's gonna destroy your kingdom it's going to destroy every wicked empire that's ever been established. It is going to undo. It is going to crush all of the systems it constructed by powers and principalities of which right now you're serving. 
Um, what Daniel doesn't do is come hopping and skipping and just telling him a bunch of fluff and stuff so that he can save his own life, so that he can play the part for politics. Right now, playing the part for politics is one of the things that is destroying our unity as a people. I could mention right now, Democrat, Republican, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, make America great again. <laughs> All of these things are destroying our unity as a people. Daniel comes into the room and he has a choice to make. Are you gonna play politics to save your life? Are you gonna play politics in order to preserve your own self-interests? You have to understand Daniel is casting his vote and he's casting it for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe what we need to stop doing is rallying alongside of our political candidate and rallying alongside of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe what we need to do is weaken the grip on our guy and strengthen our grip as it's clinging to Jesus. We are a people that belong to Jesus. We don't belong to the Democratic Party. We don't belong to the Republican Party. We're not serving the interests of Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And neither one of them have given us the freedom that we enjoy to be faithful to Jesus. And so our vote should be casted for our king. And Daniel comes into the room and he's like, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord, even if it's going to cost me my life. Man, I wish that some of us would unravel in the politic game. Right now, the politic game and us trying to serve by way of legality and governmental structures um, you do understand that neither side is ever going to fully satisfy kingdom interests. Neither side is ever going to be the realest and fullest manifestation of the kingdom of God upon the earth because we are awaiting the day for the return of the king when he will bring his kingdom with him and he will crush every other kingdom, every other system, every other structure. And this is what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar. Um, yeah, you may be the man right now and you may think that you are the stuff right now um, but let me just go ahead and tell you, God has revealed to you in a dream that there's coming a day when his kingdom is going to crush all of these earthly kingdoms. And it's wild to me the way that Nebuchadnezzar responds. When you turn the page and you jump into chapter three, he erects a 90 foot monument of himself, a giant statue of himself, and he puts it up in downtown. Almost as if to say like, okay, God gave me a dream and he told me that I am the man for a little while, but there's coming a time when his kingdom is going to crush my kingdom. But so long as my kingdom is still intact, I'm going to get it on for myself. And he puts up a giant statue of himself and commands that his image be worshiped. And so he has another dream in chapter four. And in chapter four, Daniel comes back. And Daniel says, yep, you had a dream with a giant tree that was beautiful and it was powerful. And in the dream, the tree got chopped down. 
And he says, oh, king, how I wished that God was saying that that tree was one of your enemies. But that tree is you. Read it for yourself. He says, that tree is you. And God is going to judge you. He's going to judge you. Take notice of what's happening. Daniel is not backing down because of the political pressure. Daniel is not backing down because of the hostility that has permeated culture. Now, mind you, in between chapter two and chapter four, three of his friends were thrown into a furnace. Right? Like, it's getting real in these streets. Three of his boys are thrown into a furnace because they will not buckle. They will not bow. They will not compromise. They will not just get down, if we could say it like that, like everybody else. But they recognize that things are corrupt. They recognize that these are unprecedented times. They understand what's actually happening and that there's demonic inspiration and that it's conditioning a culture to respond to idols worship and imagery and sounds and they will not do what everybody else wants them to do even when the cost may be their own life and so Daniel prophesies to the king in chapter 2 your kingdom's going to be crushed when God establishes his kingdom you are not the man like you think you are in chapter 3 This guy who just got told he's not the man erects a statue and demands that it be worshiped and throws three of Daniel's friends into a fiery furnace. Now God rescues them. They come out in chapter four. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And in this dream, there's this giant tree. And this tree gets chopped down. Insert Daniel once again. And Daniel comes with the word of the Lord. King, I wish that God was speaking about one of your enemies, but he's not. Because you're not responding to the Lord. God has given you grace by putting me here to tell you what he's saying. He's revealing his desires to you because he's raised up a messenger that has access to you. And he's giving you dreams and things are mysterious, but he's put a man here next to you that has the ability to unpack the mysteries, to bring to light those things that seem to be hidden in darkness. And it's the grace of God that I'm here, but you're not responding right. And the tree in the dream is you. And the tree that was chopped down is you. And there's judgment coming to you if you do not repent and give glory to God as he desires. And I wish that we could give Nebuchadnezzar the benefit of the doubt and to think that at this point he was going to respond well, but he doesn't. And the Bible says that one year later, he's out on his balcony overlooking his kingdom. And he says, I'm the man. Look at how awesome I am. And it says that the word of the Lord was fulfilled in that moment. And Nebuchadnezzar gets judged. He actually turns into an animal, like a beast of sorts. 
and he's out in the field and he eats grass for seven years. And after seven years, it says that his right mind is restored to him and that he ends up coming back. But then he passes and his son Belshazzar is raised up and he's king in his father's place. And in chapter five, now again, we're tracking chapter by chapter. In chapter five, you find that even with the story of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, his father, Belshazzar is throwing a party. He's having a feast. And they're there drinking. And I guess they got a little tipsy. They had one too many. And Belshazzar starts making some bad decisions. And he remembers the items that belonged to the God of the children of Israel. That when they were brought into Babylon through exile, that they stored away that came from the temple. And Belshazzar says, bring me the items. And they're brought to him. And they start drinking out of these items. And they start worshiping the God of silver and gold and bronze and wood. They're worshiping their idols and mocking the things of God. They're worshiping their idols and making a mockery, a public spectacle, an outright rejection of the things pertaining to God. And in the midst of them making a public mockery. Again, this is a public setting. It's a feast. It's a party. They are partying and mocking the things of God. And right in the midst of them thinking. Now again, this is another king thinking that he can just have his way, that he can just be the man, that he can just do whatever he wants to do. Right in the middle of their party while they're mocking the things of God. The Bible says in chapter 5, Suddenly, chapter five, verse five, I turned there because I wanted to read it word for word as it says it here. I know I've been summarizing and, and doing my own thing. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing right in the middle of publicly mocking the things of God a hand manifested and it hung in place. It manifested in thin air. All of a sudden, a hand emerged and it wasn't a manifestation that didn't serve a purpose. A hand manifested and it began writing on the wall and no one could interpret the message. No one had understanding of what it actually said. And one of the servants of the king said to Belshazzar, you know, there's this guy in the kingdom. And when your dad was alive, it was said that he had the ability to interpret dreams and that he had the ability to reveal mysteries because the spirit of the gods took residency on the inside of him. And they say, Look for him and bring him to us. Insert Daniel again. And here comes Daniel. And Daniel once again rises to the occasion and looks into the face of the king. And he says, you want to know what the writing says? This is what it says. You have been weighed. 
Your life has been weighed in the balance and you've been found lacking and you've been judged because you think that you can publicly mock the things of God without penalty. You think that you can just have your own displays of power and corruption and that you can worship idols and that you can wield corruption into culture without any sort of penalty, but your life has been weighed in the balance and it's been found lacking and you've been judged. And it says that shortly after that, Belshazzar ended up passing away. And now Darius ends up taking over the kingdom. And we're right back where we started. Because now Darius is convinced by his little demonic minions in order to write into public policy that there's an accusation that should be brought against Daniel. Because again, there's a history of who Daniel is that has permeated this kingdom. There's a testimony about Daniel and the faithfulness of his God. Daniel is a man who's been faithful and it has not gone without notice. And they write into public policy. We think we found out a way to disrupt the way that he has become a disturbance to us out in public. We're going to make it a public policy that he can't pray. And now Daniel, at this point in his life, he's, he's been around for a little while. He's already seen some crazy things. He's already been a part of some chaotic moments. He's already been pressed into some situations that were filled with real tension. But in every instance, he rose to the occasion. In every instance, he allowed what was happening in public to be informed by what he was receiving in private. And when they wrote the law, Daniel said, I don't know anything else to do except to do what I've always done. I'm not going to respond to this new challenge in a new way. I'm going to respond to this new challenge in the only way that I know how to respond. I'm going to go home and pray. I'm going to continue to be faithful in my life of consecration. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the face of God because it's been decades now and he's been faithful to me. It's been decades now and his voice has been alive in my heart and he sent messengers to me when I needed messengers. He brought insight to me when I needed insight. He revealed understanding to me when I needed understanding. He gave me wisdom and learning and he told me and he taught me how to posture myself and he revealed mysteries to me when there were mysteries that needed to be unpacked. You don't understand. Over decades now, I've known what to do because I've clung to God in the secret place and he has set me up to succeed. And Daniel said, here we go again. They're doing some foolishness out there. And now it's gotten real because now they have made my faithfulness to God a crime. But you see, I don't really know anything else to do. And so Daniel went home and he took it to the secret place because the secret place was the strength of Daniel's life. When you track through chapters 7 through 12, you understand that everything that was happening in private 
Everything that was happening in private was informing what Daniel was doing out in public. Read it for yourself. In chapter 10, he says, in this year of Belshazzar the king, I was so troubled by what God was revealing to me and the interpretation of the encounter and the message that I entered into fasting and prayer. And there was an angel that came to me and there was a message that was brought to me. What you have to understand is that the secret place in chapter seven through 12 is actually what was giving Daniel his strength to be faithful in a public place through chapters one through six. He wasn't left up to his own devices, but all of his instructions came through intercession. And in chapter six, when they tried to make it a law and they tried to say, hey, listen, if you pray again, we're going to kill you. Oh, to think that there would be a man in our midst, a woman among us, so powerful in the place of prayer that a demonic host began to target them. Yes, they had to stop everybody, but it was because they were after somebody and they didn't want Daniel to pray. They realized that the secret place was the source of his power. The secret place was what strengthened him in a public place. The secret place is what gave him access to wisdom and insight and learning and mysteries. And they said to themselves, out of everything that we've learned about his life, there's one thing that we know about his life. We've got to find a way to disrupt the secret place. But Daniel, um, you know, decided, man, if this is the way the story's going to end, then this is the way it's going to end because I will not compromise my consecration. Man, do you have that in your heart? I will not compromise my consecration. I've been praying three times a day. I've been getting after it and I've been seeking the face of God. I've been fasting and praying for decades and I've seen a lot of things and God has been faithful to me. He's been good to me. I'm still here. There were many that were here for a moment, but they were judged and they were like a, like a, like a vanish, like a, like a vapor. They were like a breath here today and they've been gone, but I'm still planted. I'm still thriving and God is still being faithful. And it says, Daniel went home and he went up to his room. And he kept on praying. Guys, these are days where there's a lot of interest that we could serve. There's a lot of ways that we could try to self-preserve. There's a lot of ways that we could try to rally for this cause or rally for this voice or rise up because of this movement. There's a lot of categories. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of politicking that's going on. There's a lot of wielding of corruption and a lot of interests that are being created. But let me encourage you, the church is unstoppable. The church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. We are a people that have been planted and we serve the interests of the king, not the earthly king, not some world structure, not some governmental system, because again, and I speak for America and to America, I understand that there are a bunch of different structures and systems and governments throughout the world uh, and that they, they vary in shapes and sizes and, and all types of interests. But here in America, our hope is not found in a political party. Here in America, our hope is not found 
in a presidential candidate. Here in America, our anchoring is not found in some elected official, local government, governors and senators. Our hope is found in Jesus. And our governmental system does not give us the freedom to worship the King of Kings. Jesus has secured our devotion by his own blood. His own life was broken open and he bled out so that we could be faithful to him. He was buried on our behalf so that we could have the right to worship him. He was raised by the power of the Holy Ghost so that we could lift up his name and he be exalted in our lives. And he was ascended into the heavens where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is at rest and Psalm 2 tells us that while the nations are raging and while all of the demonic governmental structures and the rulers of the age are conspiring against God's anointed one, his king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, while the rulers of the age, while powers and principalities, while the spirit of the air is conspiring and it's hostile and it's raging against his king, that he's seated and he's at rest. And he laughs because he's awaiting the day when his father will make all of his enemies a footstool to him. This is what Daniel saw in his vision in chapter two. He said, O king, know this. There's a day coming when God will come with his kingdom. And this living stone carved out of the mountainside, not fashioned with human hands, it will crush every other kingdom. And know this, it is certain. And what you see will happen. Daniel took all of what God revealed to him in the secret place and brought it out to the public place. And he served God's interest over decades. Hear that, he served God's interests, even at the consideration that it might cost him his life. There's a lot of ways to serve a bunch of other agendas. There's a lot of ways to serve a bunch of other interests because we're trying to preserve, preserve our life. But Jesus said it this way. Those of you that are trying to save yourselves, you're trying to preserve your own life, you're actually going to be the ones that end up losing your life. This was right after the invitation to pick up the cross, to shoulder it, to follow him, to deny ourselves. But he said, those of us that are actually willing to lose our lives. Man, consider this. Daniel took a moment that could have cost him his life. And he preached and declared the word of the Lord to the king. And he rebuked the mess out of him because of his wickedness. And the mystery that the king needed to be unveiled to him. Daniel brought it with clear cut precision he threw the dart into the center of the bullseye and he let the results weigh in the hands of the Lord. I have no idea what's gonna happen to me on the other side of this moment right here, but I am going to serve the interests of my kings instead of politicking, instead of self-preserving, instead of rallying with all of these other little sects and categories and groups, there's one person that I'm worried about being faithful to. And Daniel lets it rip. And he rebukes the mess out of Nebuchadnezzar. Not once, twice. Belshazzar brings him in. He rebukes the mess out of Belshazzar. 
Darius throws him into the lion's den. He rebukes the mess out of Darius. Come get some. But he's not strengthened in some worldly ambition. He's not strengthened because he has rallied alongside of the right activist group or the right political category. He's strengthened because his life's animation, the secret sauce is the secret place. Man, I wish that some of us would get out of the comment section and get into the secret place. Oh, the comment section is the lion's den. Oh yeah. All of us, oh, I'm just here for the comments and we're sitting there with the popcorn. I wish some of us would get out of the comment section and get into the secret place. I wish some of us would get off of the news sources and get into the secret place. I wish some of us would get off of Facebook and Instagram and all of these other places where we can scroll and be informed and we can be influenced. I wish we would get off the scrolling and get into the secret place. I wish that some of us would get out of all the conspiracy theories and all the opinions and all the tidal waves of the currents of culture and the activist group and all of the nonsense that right now is swirling and wielding hostility into our culture. I wish that we would just get into the secret place because Daniel got into the secret place. And what he found in the secret place strengthened him to be faithful to God in the public place. Man, that Daniel's would rise. A people possessed with God's spirit. A people with wisdom and no corruption. A people with learning and insight and understanding that there is no negligence a people who carry an excellent spirit, a people so faithful that they would have to make it a crime in order to be able to bring an accusation. But even in the midst of adversity and seeming uncertainty, a people so sold out to God because of consecration, fasting, praying, dreams, vision, intercession, instruction in the secret place, a people like Daniel that when it's all riding on the line, would be faithful to God and would declare the word of the Lord and would reveal mysteries. Oh, that Daniel's would arise and that we would be united on behalf of King Jesus. Man, some of us just need to let go some of the other stuff because it's disrupting the way that we cling to Jesus and Jesus only. Hear that, Jesus and Jesus only only, not Jesus and the Republican Party, not Jesus and this social justice movement, not Jesus and this activist group, but Jesus and Jesus only. Oh, that we would be a people united because of the person of Jesus. Oh, that we would be a people fighting to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace because of the unity and the forming and the fashioning of our lives as instruments that are influential in our culture because of our life of consecration and intercession and what we receive in the secret place. We have no hope of being united outside of it being in Jesus and for Jesus and unto Jesus and Jesus only, not Jesus and. And in these days, I'm believing that God is going to begin to raise up Daniels.
those who won't use the influence of their platform for politics, for self-interest, for government systems, and the rest. Say what you want to say. Daniel served the interest of one king, even though he was brought alongside of many kings. And he served the interest of one king, and God preserved him in the midst of a corrupt, wicked culture like Babylon. Daniel continued to rise. Daniel continued to rise. And he was faithful to God, and God was faithful to him. Let there be no disruption to the secret place in these days. Daniel took it to the house. And he said, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. Because I've realized if I allow anything to disrupt what God has going on in the secret place, it is going to bring disruption to everything that God is intending to allow me to interact with out in the public place. Track over Daniel's life and see everything he did in public was being informed by what he knew God was saying in private, by the way God was visiting him in secret, by the wisdom and the insight that God was imparting to him in the secret place. Can you say that all of what is energizing your movement out in public is coming from what God is imparting to you in private? Can you say that all of the way that you are being animated, that there's no strings attached, there's no political interests, there's no category, there's no other group, there's no other influence outside of the voice of the Lord that's alive in your heart. Your life and the interests of your life are being framed in. You're being moved on and moved by the interests of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords only. Can you say that with no negligence? with no corruption. Can you say it in excellence? Daniel did. Oh, that Daniels would arise in our day and begin to serve the interests of the king. And oh, that we, again, would become a powerful people in the midst of our culture as we cling to our king and our king only. We need this now more than ever because there are a million ways that we're being divided. And any attack on our unity is an assault on our authority. We're losing our authoritative stance because we've been divided by a million different things. Fight to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul opens this by saying, walk worthy of the call. What challenging words in our day where from within our own ranks, we criticize, we accuse. From within our own ranks, we attack, we assault. From within our own ranks, we're divided. We've created sides and categories. From within our own ranks, we've chosen our own self-interest above the interest of our king. Oh, that Daniels would arise. 
Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.